This is Let's Get Real with your realtor hosts, Mallory Myers and Rob Calabro, talking real life and real estate. All right. From the Buckeye State to the Sunshine State, this is Let's Get Real. How are you doing, Mal? Hey, Rob. How are you? Doing awesome. Uh, yeah. Friday that we're doing this, and uh, it's about 20 degrees and sunny out here, so Ooh. life is good. Wow. It's a... Uh... I think it's 65-ish here, a little gloomy. So outside it kind of looks like Ohio, but it, yeah. and it's cool to us. Like the other morning, it was 40-ish, somewhere around the 40s. And it it's put on a beanie weather. It's put on your big coat because it feels like it's 20 degrees down here. Sounds terrible. Sounds <laughs> terrible. I'm sure nobody's golfing or, yeah. golfing or anything. Here's that tiny violin. <laughs> I know. Nobody feels sorry for me. <laughs> um, so we do have a pretty, pretty great lineup as far as topics go today. I know the first thing we're going to touch on is the uh, popular buyer love letters thing that's been happening over the last few years. We're going to dive in a little bit about what's happening with interest rates, especially since they've taken a little hike over the last week or so. And then we are talking about appraisal gaps, which is a huge topic in real estate right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's get into this one. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be meaty. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, I'll give a quick uh, synopsis of what this whole buyer love letter thing is. And then you, you can kind of add in your, um, yeah your thoughts on it. So, you know, when you're making an offer on a property, multiple offers, um, a lot of times what we'll see is buyers will submit a letter to the seller telling them why they want to buy their house. We love this house. It'll be great for our family. Our work is only five minutes away, all these things. And uh, it's supposed to tap into the emotions of the seller. So when the seller has 10 offers and they're all within a thousand dollars of each other, they pick the one that you know they feel a connection to they 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 have emotions in their house and they say hey you know we want to share the you know emotions but the issue that we've seen over the last couple of years and people doing that is they there's the thought is that there could be a uh, some sort of fair housing violation you know if you're choosing one buyer over another buyer because of something that would violate fair housing um now that's where the topic of debate comes in and uh, i guess i'll let you go from there and tell me what you think of of the buyer lover is it a buyer love letter is it a good idea does it work and have you used it before yes so um the love letter it is it's a sensitive subject to some, um, in regards to what you said about the, the fair housing. Um, I use it all the time. I have definitely gotten accepted offers because of the love letter. Um, I think that it's, it's incredibly crucial to do right now when you are up against an average of six to 10 other offers, you know, how, if they're all very similar, how are you going to decide? Um, and I think it, it really helps if, say the seller has lived in the house for 30 years. It's a very emotional to them. They're, they're tied to the home. They've grew up, you know, they've raised a family in the house and they have an investor offering 350 and a first time home buyer couple who's expecting their first baby offering for the same amount. Say the investor's cash, say the, the, first time home buyers are financed, but the exact same amount. Most likely the seller who has lived there for 30 years and 
receives my offer with a personal letter from my first time home buyers with um you know a little cute little paragraph about why they love their home why they're you know excited to call it home versus the investor they're most likely going to go with my clients because they know hey i'm leaving this home and i'm giving it to somebody else who's going to be raising their family in this home versus oh yeah i'll sell it to a guy for 350 who's going to turn around and sell it for 400 you know all he's in here for is to make a buck mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so I 100% agree with you on that. It does work. I have firsthand seen it work, but it doesn't always work. It's not mm -hmm. a guarantee. It doesn't always. Mm -hmm. um, and so for for me, when I'm talking to, to my clients about it, uh, especially, you know, I won't suggest it on every, every single situation. And some buyers maybe don't want to do it or don't have, you know, don't feel like they um, have the creative juices to write a, a very emotional letter, whatever, that's totally up to them. Um, but, you know, in certain situations, I'll definitely suggest it. And as a buyer, it can't hurt you, right? Um, unless you, unless it's something that, you know, I, I can't imagine you We plan something... to do a meth lab in yeah, this house. Yeah, Will you, know, you I please can't accept our offer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine you put something in there that would hurt your situation. But, you know, will it hurt? Will it help? That's up for the, the individual seller and the individual selling situation. So mm -hmm. that's what I always tell my clients. It certainly can't hurt. We might as well. And then when you're representing the seller, that's when the debate comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Do we as a listing agent, should I present these letters to the seller? Am I putting them at risk? And, you know, my feeling had been over the last, um, you know, few years as these love letters became more and more popular was I will happily send them off with my buyer offers, but I prefer not to be a part of sending them, you know, to my sellers when we're, you know, negotiating a seller offer because, you know, I don't want to put them in a position where they could violate fair housing because of information they were presented. But mm. here's what I think, or here's what I read recently in an article. I think you and I might have both read this article. I'm not sure. Uh, but basically, it was, I believe it was uh, uh, in Seattle, there was a lawsuit that basically stated there are no statistics or no certain cases that actually prove that these love letters are violating fair housing. Mm -hmm. We can't tie this to any like increase in fair housing violations because of this occurrence, which if that is the case, then that changes it a little bit for me. I haven't seen the data for the state of Ohio, so I don't know for sure. So I'll definitely err on the side of caution personally, mm -hmm. but if somebody would present to me the information that says, you know, this is, nobody is, is using a love letter to violate fair housing. Then I would think twice about whether I have an issue presenting it to a seller or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, down here, it's, it's fight club, right? Like you're, you're fighting for the offers. You're doing whatever it takes. We're submitting the love letters. We're, we're getting creative with our offers, but the love letters help. And it, it's, it's kind of personal preference if you're going to be a listing agent that that presents it to be honest i mean it is it's um i've had an agent that says i'm not submitting your love letter it's you know it's against fair housing and i've had agents that straight up sent my love letter along with our offer complimented it and then presented it to their seller and they selected our offer because they felt a connection with my client and 
the terms and everything else about the offer still made them happy. Um, so it was kind of a win-win. It, it made them feel good about moving forward with a buyer because of the personal connection and the, the offer was still a good offer. Um, right, right. I, I, I submit the whole thing to the seller. I'll, you know, here's this offer, full attachment, love letter, offer, pre-approval letter, next, you know, and let them decide. I'm not going to be the one that says, hey, this love letter was really nice and they seem like a really sweet family. You know, it's it's a completely neutral like line for us. Mm -hmm. But here's the offer. Here's the packet. Here's what it includes. And let me know what you think. Yeah, you've got to be smart about it. And, and going back to what you said just a second ago, of course, it helps, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to make the difference for most for most sellers. It's not going to make the difference between thousands of dollars uh, or or, you know, the difference between having to no negotiate repairs and not negotiate repairs right. or the difference between an appraisal gap and no mm -hmm. appraisal gap, which is something we're going to discuss here in a minute. But mm -hmm. um, but if it's if it's really a tight race uh, and the seller just doesn't know, well, these offers are all about the same. What am I supposed to do? Sure. I think mm -hmm. it definitely could help. And yeah, for you and I. We can't we can't take these letters and anal analyze them ourselves and say, well, this family seems better mm -hmm. than this family. So yeah. take, that is definitely not a, a situation you want to be in. Not um, at all. But uh, I think it's a, a great um, concept. I think it's an op opportunity too for um, the buyers to have a little fun with it. You know, brag about your family. Brag about you know what what makes you a. a you know, a great candidate for that buying the mm -hmm. house and why you're going to love and enjoy the house. I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. so I would, I'd say go for it. If, if, um, if we're in that competitive situation and it's something that we think can help. Yeah. And back to the point of the lawsuit, I don't even think anything happened. Like, I don't, I don't recall it being a fair housing issue, mm -hmm. you know, and then like you said, statistically, I really don't think there's ever been a case where it's really been one that it was against fair housing. So it's like, well, nobody is really going to go fight for that. And it hasn't been proven that it really is unethical and against fair housing to where we're all going to stop. I think it's always going to be something that people do to try shoot their shot with and see, Hey, can I, if, if this, maybe my offer is not that strong, but here's, here's a love letter to go with it. Who knows? I don't know. But, um, I think it's, it's going to continue to happen. We're going to continue to see them until we see some, some, um, real some relief in the marketplace. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. just some, some maybe consequences from using them if it is a fair housing issue. So it's, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it, I mean, it would be hard, I think, for a, a, in a real fair housing lawsuit, I think it would be hard to really, if, if it is a tr traditional love letter situation where, you know, the sellers presented with a few of them and they select an offer, it'd probably be pretty challenging to prove that that the real reason why they selected an offer was specifically to, you know, in, in a uh, fair housing violation. Mm -hmm. uh, is right. it possible? Are you going down a path where that could happen? You are, mm -hmm. um, but it's it would probably be a challenging one uh, to figure out for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well let's let's talk interest rates a little bit uh, since we're talking multiple offers and yeah. we're talking crazy wild real estate market. 
Um, so this past week, the the rates we we've been hearing about this uh, for I want to say you know since the end of uh, end of the year there, and uh, we've been hearing threats of rates going up. They're saying, hey, that the ten uh, year Treasury is going to rise three times over the next you know twelve months or what have you. And so typically, when that rises, that that then follows the. Uh, the mortgage rates. So what we saw this week was mortgage rates jumped from right around 3, 3.1 to 3.25, all the way up to somewhere in the range of 3.6 to 3.8%, almost 4%, um, which that, that impacts the payment. It depends mm -hmm. on how, how big your loan is. Um, but you know what I've seen in the market is it could provide a small amount of relief for some buyers. It might take the competition in a certain price bracket down a little bit because yeah. now those buyers that were really confident at 400 are now a little bit more confident at only 380 or something like that. I mean, that could have an effect. I think personally, I think it's not going to be an effect that you're going to see very easily because we're not talking about a huge jump. Mm -hmm. um, have you noticed anything in your market? Yeah, so it's about the same. It's about 3.6 um, average right now. So that's definitely um, higher than what people were looking for last year. You know, they're looking for under three, maybe maybe 3.25, you know, whatever. So we're mm -hmm. definitely getting mm -hmm. a little bit closer to four, which like you said, definitely impacts the mortgage um, payment and could move somebody from a 400,000 price point to 380, 360 for what they're comfortable with. Um, and I think that is a, it's gonna make a huge difference in the market that we're in with people being able, you know, not everybody is gonna be able to flock to a $400,000 house anymore. You know, some might still be able to, but it might mm -hmm. cut it down, you know, 25% because now they're recognizing that their mortgage payment is higher in that price point. So now we gotta reevaluate our price points. Um, so I, I, I've seen it here in the interest rate rising, um, but I haven't seen it yet in the slowdown of the multiple offers and the, you know, attack on each home yet. Yeah. But, yeah. And I think you won't see it like as obviously you might see it in the form of, we only have five offers now instead of right. eight offers or something, which like that. I love. I'm all yeah. about if, if I only have to go against four others, perfect. And if that gives I'm a, me more hope. Exactly. And if I'm a buyer in this market, I, I look at this and I say, this is great because it reduces my competition, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not by a lot, but at least by a little bit. And ultimately, if I'm getting a rate in the high threes, that's, that's historically a really good rate still. I mean, yes. I think we talked about this on a different episode, but mm -hmm. um, I was at 4875 in early 2020 rates dropped below four 4.0 or something and we mm -hmm. jumped and did a refi right like that and i remember thinking i don't know i don't know if rates are going to keep going down like this is this is great um and i think a lot of people were in the same boat because if you remember 2020 just about everybody in the whole country refied if they had a if they had a mortgage yeah. because it just didn't make sense not to mm -hmm. um but i think anything in that three to four range is going to still be a solid rate and at the end of the day you're looking at what your payment is you don't the, the mm -hmm. actual number the digits on the rate they don't really matter what really matters is 
how much do I have to pay monthly? How much do I have to put down on the property? You know, and obviously the, the less interest you pay, the better, but you know, as long as you're comfortable with the payment, it doesn't change things. Right. Right. And I think that is so big on making sure that you have a good lender or that your buyer has a good lender that they can communicate with. Say they find a house, they're curious about what the payment is, um, you know, get comfortable with that rate, but get, get comfortable with the mortgage payment. The payment is the most important thing. And I do have, I've had clients that have decided to go with different lenders like Quicken Loans and, mm -hmm. and some other lenders because the interest rate was really, really low, but the, the risk that they're taking with going with those kinds of companies is huge because you're missing out on um, real life people that live in your area that can really help you. You know, like my lenders in Tampa know many people and it's very good to know and have somebody that is on your side that's local that works outside of business hours that can help you so it's, you're not just getting like an interest rate you're getting like the ritz carlton service behind it and you want to make sure that they'll close for you and they want to you want to make sure that they're helping navigate those monthly mortgage payments and what that means and and really helping guide you into this is what i think my budget maxes help me decide based on that, based on my rate, what's the price point I should be looking at? Mm. Not, Hey, your max is 400,000. Have a good time. Like, yeah. I mean, so there's, there's a level of personal customer service. That's really important. That that's kind of what you're talking about. And the other thing I would tell people is when you're shopping interest rates, pay attention to the, the, the fine details because it, a, a lender can very easily charge you points up front in, in the form of closing costs mm -hmm. to get your rate lower. So if you go to one, if you get quoted a rate from a lender and you go to the next lender and say, hey, this company quoted this rate, could you beat it? They may very well be able to beat it and just charge you up front. So you've got to yes. factor in all of your closing costs that are associated because a lot of times rate, can be heavily impacted by the cl closing costs or the points being paid or not being paid. So, you know, just pay attention to all the numbers and it can, I'll tell you, it can be difficult because they don't all charge the same closing costs mm -hmm. for the same things. And so um, just because you think you're getting a, be a better deal from one than the other doesn't mean you really are. Right. Um, you've got to, you got to look at everything and, and evaluate it. That being said, I would encourage people to check, you know, check, you know, you should have a lender that you know and that you trust and that you want to work with, but it mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you can't compare their rate Absolutely. to another lender and just make sure everything is in line. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have suggestion. I have a preferred lender I work with. I have two preferred lenders. You know, I, I can give you all the information you need to connect you with people I trust. But if you want to go out there, go, go for it. Like find somebody that you feel comfortable working with because this is your investment. It's not my investment. Right. I'm here to be your professional advisor along the way and to help you get your goal, but it's not my money. So Yep. I'm going to respect the day, they're making every the decision. Payments, not you. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let me ask you this question going forward. If we see rates hang in this middle threes to maybe low fours, do you think that's going to have a major impact on the market where you are and just the market in general? I don't. Um, I think that 
especially with rent increasing so incredibly much and not really seeing that statistic on it lowering, you mm -hmm. know, and it leveling out. I think that we just have to, we have to continue to educate them that 3.6 to four is normal. What we got in 2020 and 2021 was not normal. So please remember that if you see a 3.6 or, you know, it's kind of inching closer to that 3.6 area, that's normal. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean you're getting screwed on a higher rate. It just means we're kind of sorting a level out back to reality. Um, what people got last year and the year before that was awesome. They lucked out. They got a really great deal. They took advantage of the market, but the market changes and you kind of have to adjust with it. Yeah. And ultimately it might be healthier for the market and for inflation and all these other mm -hmm. things um, to have these. I mean, I assume that the reason we're getting rate increases is, is to try to control some of the inflation mm -hmm. um, and control some of the not just inflation of goods, but the inflation of the housing prices, because housing prices have been going up drastically over the last couple of years, and that's not normal to the market. So right. even though it is normal for homes to appreciate in value over time, uh, it's the, the rate of appreciation that we have seen in the last two to three years has been much, much above the norm. I would say. Right, right. Well, the norm is like 5% and we were seeing 24, 25%. So we, we have talked about that um, in a couple episodes ago where we're starting to expect um, a 5% increase again, nothing like 20%. So again, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I've had a couple conversations with the last week of buyers saying they're scared, you know, they're scared to move forward and buying because of the level of how fast it's increasing and mm -hmm. they're afraid they're not going to find something. But um, it's very important to to educate, you know, the buyers of don't be scared. It's not going to be as crazy as it has been. We're starting to kind of level up, out more inventory, higher interest rates. Um, is all in your favor. Like you said, it's not, it's not scary for the buyer. It's actually going to be in your favor. Yeah. I mean, I, the way I look at it is it's, it's, it's kind of good for both parties, right? Yeah. A little relief for the buyer, the seller is still getting good appreciation. You know, the market's not tanking and I haven't seen, um, you know, outside of maybe some, some, you know, predictions of, of some random things. Like I really haven't seen any of the major economic firms or reliable sources predicting some kind of a crazy drop off in, in home values. Um, obviously we know we can't predict the, the market in the future, mm -hmm. but uh, I think the market's really strong right now. And it appears that we're heading in a good direction, uh, maybe, maybe balancing out a little bit, but ultimately still keeping a strong market. Yep, absolutely. It's it's but again, don't wait. Just let's start the process now. Oh yeah. I mean, and there's many reasons for that, not just the market, but like well, part of the reason for that in this market is it takes mm -hmm. longer, which we've yeah. discussed in the past. I mm -hmm. just was having that conversation with a client this morning was, you know, they're they're looking to buy a house, they have a lease, it ends midsummer. And the reality is, yeah, we're, we're early in the year. We're about six months away from that. 
it takes in this market, you want to have the leverage. So you want yeah. to be able to, to give the seller time, like we've discussed, possession after closing, if it's a possibility. And two, it just straight up takes longer to look at houses, mm-hmm. find a house, negotiate a price, or make, you know, make multiple offers on multiple mm-hmm. houses and, and finally lock one down, which you will do, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're in the market and you're putting in the effort, you will. Um, and so if you're six months out, it may not be a bad time to be really jumping in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of transitions, this trans, this conversation transitions well to our next topic mm-hmm. about the appraisal gap, because you don't know what you don't know as a buyer, right? So like you think I need to have $60,000 in savings. That's my down payment. Let's go find a house. Or maybe you only have $10,000 in savings. That's my down payment. Let's go find a house. But mm-hmm. there's a lot more things um, that t- it takes to win in this market, such as the appraisal gap. So if your lease is up in July and you're talking to us in January, February, maybe it's because you need to save more money to be able to win these offers. Um, Hopefully we won't have this kind of market in July. Hopefully we'll see some relief much sooner than that. However, it's great to prepare now because maybe you need to save more money to be able to be aggressive to actually win these deals versus shooting your shot and continuing to not have enough money, but you know, we're just going to try let's, let's, let's prepare let's see what you need and let's discuss um, what the finances look like. And do you have what it takes to possibly win like covering the appraisal gap? So, so, all right, we're on appraisal gap. Let's, let's jump into it. Let's go Um, for it. So should I just give a quick, a uh, snapshot uh, explanation of what the appraisal itself is and then we can discuss the, the, okay. So, um, for buyers out there or anybody out there who's not familiar, the, the bank is going to, rec- for if you're getting a bank loan, if you're not paying cash, then the bank needs an appraisal report to help determine the, to help them um, secure their investment. Their investment is the property you're buying. And, and what the appraisal does is it provides a an opinion of value on the property. And the goal is that the the opinion of value is at or above the purchase price that you've agreed on in your contract. So as long as that happens, then the bank says, okay, great. We will lend on this asset because we, our outside opinion told us that 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 value is equal to what you're paying. So it's a secure asset. Um, But what we're seeing in this market is people offering above the list price to a certain extent makes it less likely that the property might appraise and so or appraise at or above value which means that if it appraises below value traditionally what would happen is the buyer and the seller would renegotiate the purchase price and they would either reduce the price to the appraised value or they would maybe meet in the middle but in this market it it behooves you to offer to cover that cost out of your own pocket as a buyer to make your offer stronger um, against competitors. And what that does for the seller is it just reassures them that they're getting the price you agreed to pay, Um, Mm -hmm. that they're not going to have to reduce their price in the future because of the appraisal. Yep, absolutely. And um, just in case people are curious of how does that outside opinion get that number? 
right? Yeah. So like you said, it's an opinion of value. So the appraiser, what a life he must live right now. <laughs> because I mean, talk about job security, but the appraiser is getting this ticket, right? To say, hey, go check out this house. Here are the comps nearby. Comps are, say it's a three bedroom, two bath house listed at 350. They're only going to look at three bedroom, two bath homes within half a mile to a mile of that area. They're going to look at how old is the roof? How old, you know, what's the condition of the home? Mm -hmm. um, and is that listing at 350 comparable to what has sold just like it in that area? Sold in the past, not sold in the past. So the like present. within the last three, within the last three months. Right. right, right. So they're going to take a look at that. They're going to justify to see if it's worth the lender giving you the money for the home, letting you borrow the money for the home. Is it worth their, their investment? Like you said, so the opinion of value comes in where it just depends on who the person is who thinks that, yeah, it's priced right. It's under contract for what it should be. Um, I agree with it because mm -hmm. oftentimes we'll get appraisals back where it's just at what we're under contract for maybe oh. one, $1,000 more. It's like, yes, you got a little bit of equity, Yeah, but there, it could, and that's just because he's agreeing with what we're under contract for, right. but it could be a property where, and I've had this happen where I'm under contract on a home. It's listed for five fifty, and it, it's a basic home. It's okay. But the backyard and pool stunning. I mean, amazing. So they listed it at 550. We went under contract for 550 and the appraisal came back $50,000 under. Yikes. And it could be because the person thought this is way too much money for this house. Or, you know, they really truly looked at the comps and believed it's an opinion depending on who is doing it. All that to say, we had to renegotiate. We had to refigure out where, where can we meet in the middle mm -hmm. at this point, if you're getting an appraisal, it's almost, it's basically one and a half weeks before the closing. That's how far down we are in the process. It's maybe two, two mm -hmm. weeks, probably tops before closing, which means seller has most likely already figured out their plan. They don't want to put the house back on the market at this time. They want to know that this deal is going to close and they'll do anything to make it work most oftentimes. Right. But the reason why the appraisal gap is handy at the beginning with your offer is because you're already agreeing that regardless of what the offer, the appraisal comes back at, regardless if it's 10 K under 25 K under, we agreed to put up X amount of money above that. It might not be 50K, it might be five, 10, 15K, but I'm gonna let you know in the beginning that if it comes in lower, I'm willing to pay up to a certain amount, not to exceed what we're under contract for to make this deal work. That way, when we're at the appraisal and we get it in, we already have an agreement. This is already what we're doing. We shouldn't have to renegotiate much. I mean, sorry that you know it, it wasn't maybe what you want, but this we've already negotiated this and this is why we're doing it. Yeah, so uh, all good points and all true. There's a couple things that that uh, I would add to. Well, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, this topic is a pretty in, it's a pretty in depth topic. We could go on for a long time, but yeah. Um, 
So the appraisal's the appraiser's opinion of value, as you said, based on comps, it should also take into account market factors like a rising yes. market, which if mm -hmm. they're doing their job correctly, part of that report talks about outside market factors. Um, but uh, uh, some of it is opinion based on the condition of the property, okay? How much are you gonna value a finished basement space? We have that in Columbus, you don't have that in Florida. Mm -hmm. But how, how much are you valuing that pool or that mm -hmm. lanai area? Mm -hmm. Or how much are you putting a value on the remodeled kitchen of this home versus the remodeled kitchen of this comp? In our opinion, you know, it wasn't as nice or wasn't done in the same facet. Um, so that's where we can get into some discrepancies you know, of, of the price and what can occur. Um, so when you're, when you're trying to evaluate this you, before putting in the offer, you can do the best you can do is to think about what it's going to appraise at. Um, but there is always a chance that the appraiser disagrees on your reasoning, you know, and, and there's, I guess this is probably the next section of what we're going to talk about, but uh, is what happens in the event that, that we have a disagreement and how we can handle that. Mm -hmm. um, but what I was going to say before that is, this, depending on the individual appraiser, sometimes we get somebody that knows that area mm -hmm. and, and it's perfect. But there are times, and I've had this happen even on my own personal um, properties that I purchased. Now, the best way is to provide the appraiser comps ahead of time, which I'm yeah. sure you do too. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, if you get an appraiser from across town that, that isn't super familiar with a certain neighborhood, they may not know that, you know, there's, there's an unwritten dividing line on this street to that street, that mm -hmm. house is over here. Now they should be able to look at the numbers and realize that, you know, this house, these houses sell for less than that house. And I'm, might, you might have already guessed this. I'm thinking about a specific neighborhood in Columbus. Um, but uh, my point is this, if, if you happen to get it, like the appraisers are busy, you can't get somebody in there and you happen to get somebody from outside of the area, it's possible that they make a mistake. I mean, that's why it's considered an opinion of value. It's not, a, mm -hmm. it's not factual. It's just an opinion. Right. Um, now what, so the next thing would be what happens, let's say that we don't do an appraisal gap and we just, we're going to take it take it from there. What are the buyer's options? If the appraiser, if the appraisal comes in short, um, and we can either a renegotiate the price mm -hmm. or B, I mean, we can, and I have had success doing this. You can do, um, an appeal, an appraisal appeal. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you, uh, are on the same page with the seller of the property and that you get an extension probably to make sure we have time to do the appeal. And if you provide the right information, you could get it appealed. But the thing to think about is the appraiser is probably not going to change their opinion because of, of your opinion. Like, I think this basement is worth more than that basement, or I think this patio is nicer than that patio. Where you can get them to change their opinion would be on factual things. Like, mm -hmm. you made a an error on the finished square footage. I had this happen in, in a specific property once where we were looking at the comps and the, they credited a finished basement in one property and uh, gave it a certain value. And the property we were uh, in contract on had a finished basement. Turns out, you could tell by looking at the, fo the photos, turns out this picture, uh, this property that, that was used as a comp didn't have a finished basement. 
and I conferred that with the agent who sold it and we provided the information to the appraiser and they changed their report. So that's awesome. If you can find now, it takes a lot of work. To yeah, do that. it's a lot of work. And if you don't have the time in, in the, in Columbus, the board of realtors contract, I think only gives a five day period. Mm. So if you don't have the time, then you'll either have to negotiate within that five days without knowing uh, what the appeal would be, or you get an extension. Mm -hmm. But in this market, like you said, most likely the sellers, if they're getting options to not have to deal with that part, they're not going to want to. Yeah. I, I remember back before all this craziness um, where I don't know if Ohio, you're able to do this, but yes, you can contest, you can appeal the, um, the original appraisal, right? We also have the opportunity to go to a different lender if we have to. Say that that appeal comes back and it's the appraiser sticks to it. You you can if you love the house, you're like I will do anything to see if we can make this work. Mm -hmm. Go to a different lender, get another appraisal, get a completely different third party guy, and see if it matches. Most I've I've heard stories. I have not personally had to do this, but I've heard stories where the second lender, the second appraiser ends up being at contract price. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to keep fighting it and, and to not give up. Um, but as we're discussing, it's this market and the appraisal gap. And what does that mean? So now that we've kind of overloaded you with the, the facts and the information about the appraiser and, and appraisals and how that works, what is the appraisal gap? So the appraisal gap is the lender is only going to give you the loan for what it appraises for. So you, if it appraises for 320 and you're under contract for 350, there's a 30 K difference. You really want this house. So the difference, how do you make it up? Well, if you are offering at the beginning, we will pay up to 15 K over appraised value not to exceed purchase price. So you're only going to have to give 15 K out of pocket for this deal. You're not going to have to pay 30 because that was what was agreed upon. When you went under contract, we're only paying 15 K we're not paying the 30. Um, and then if say it comes in 10 K under, you're not having to pay 15, you're only paying the 10. Um, so it's kind of just start giving them a promise that regardless of what the appraisal, the appraisal comes back at out of pocket cash, we're going to give you this above appraised value to make this work. Now it's important to point out, and uh, it depends on how you word the appraisal gap language, mm -hmm. but it, the way that we, the way it's primarily done in central Ohio, um, when you offer that max amount, like. Uh, I'll pay up to $10,000 over the appraised value and it, it appraises for $30,000 short. That doesn't obligate the seller to take your $10,000 deal. They could Correct. still terminate and go back, but it yep. does not obligate you to pay the 30,000. So yes, you're absolutely. at max, you're paying that 10 and that's it. Unless you decided you wanted to renegotiate for more, which mm -hmm. I mean, that would be, be a, I mean, I wouldn't say that it doesn't happen because it does happen in this market, but it would be a pretty crazy uh, situation. And I, I like to think at that point, you know, they took your offer because it was the best and, mm -hmm. and that 10,000 was, was 
you know, the part of the reason they took your offer. And if it came in 30,000 below and we have a $20,000 difference, I like to think that at that point in the contract, hopefully the sellers become more realistic about the value of the property Mm -hmm. and we could negotiate to get them to take the $10,000 or something very close to that and not go try to go back on the market. Cause you know, they go back on the market, then mm-hmm. they got to do another appraisal, and it's not mm-hmm. guaranteed that that new appraisal will, you know, not be the same as this this appraisal that they didn't agree with. So they're taking right. a lot of risk. Plus, depends on what you did with inspections. They might have to go back through and do inspections again, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to have to go through another appraisal negotiation, another inspection negotiation, unless it's something guaranteed, you know, certain situations, you know, I got a cash offer for a little bit more. I'll just go back and take that one. Right. Right. Well, and then we can't change that. You know, we did what we could. Mm -hmm. um, And, and, you know, at that point, you know, you got to move on, but um, I I think, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that it, it has a stigma if they go back on the market, right? Like there's, Oh, that house and, you know, came back on the market. I wonder what happened, you know, as Mm -hmm. buyers see like, so they're probably not going to get as much money anyway, because there's a stigma to it. They're going back on the market. Um, and again, they're three weeks into the contract. They're probably already planning their move, what they're going to do, their move date, their move mover schedules. They're already seeing the finish line at week three. So I very rarely, I have had it happen, but very rarely had it happen where the appraisal came back low and no party, like nobody could come to an agreement. And the seller said, I'm out. I'm not accepting this. Let's go back on the market. I think that you can make it work, but in this market, part of your offer, the appraisal gap is like the cherry on the Sunday. Yeah, you're right. It makes it a stronger offer. It guarantees the seller more money. Uh, And remember if it works out, the right way and if the property appraises for our agreed upon purchase price it actually doesn't impact the buyer's bottom line at all right so it's a (laughs) win-win yeah that's that's the ideal situation Mm -hmm. but um yeah i think that um in this market it's an added tool that you have to make the decision as a buyer okay yeah does this property check all the boxes and then some and if it does then um, let's, you know, this might be a, uh, clause, you know, part of the contract to consider to mm-hmm. put you in the best position possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. if you're, if you're not sold on the house, then one, maybe we shouldn't be making an offer on it anyways, but you know, it, you know, that would be something to reconsider as to whether you would do that or not. And what's the condition, you know, what, how much money are you investing in it? Mm-hmm. These are all things that buyers going to have to look at their own finances and say, what am I comfortable with? And it's not good or bad. It's just a matter of here's where I stand with it. Yep, absolutely. It's your money. It's how important is this home to you? And I've, I've shown buyers one home and they did not go above and beyond by doing the appraisal gap, by doing certain things. They just submitted a pretty decent higher offer and it didn't work. And then they found another house that they absolutely loved. They were like, I want to do whatever it takes to get this house. And they put in all their eggs in the basket, right? Like, I'm going to, as your professional who knows what is getting accepted in this market, I'm going to do my best to help get you that house by giving you what people, giving you the information on what's being accepted. I'll tell you about the appraisal gap. I'll tell you about the short inspection. I'll tell you about all these things. It's up to you as a buyer, what you want to do. If you don't want to do certain things, 
I'm not offended. I'm not, I'm going to do whatever you want. I'll submit whatever you want, but I just want to give you the tools, lay them all out and you play the cards as you want to. Perfectly put. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't show you that this is something that buyers are doing in contracts to make their offer more competitive, then I put you at a disadvantage, mm -hmm. but I'm only giving you that as an, as an option. I'm not telling you this is what has to happen. I just want yes. you to have all the information necessary to be able to proceed forward with making an offer and, you know, eventually making a purchase. The same thing goes with things like inspections and, uh, repair negotiations and things like that, where we, we have to be able to, you have to get the information from the inspector. We have to be able to provide our knowledge if, if that is something that the buyer is counting on us for. But ultimately, you have to make the decision of what your comfort level is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're the whole point of us doing this podcast and doing the video series and talking about these things is to help you. And not every I know I'm still learning, so I'm not saying I'm totally experienced or professional, but it, who you hire matters because maybe your agent doesn't know all these things and maybe that's, you know, going to hurt you as a buyer or a seller. So we just really want to educate and encourage and give you hope and give you ideas um, no matter where you are listening from, because this market is tough and we know it both from Columbus and in Tampa, mm -hmm. and we're dealing with the same issues that you might be in Montana, you know, yeah. so we just, we just want to yeah. help you. Right. And, and also it's fun. I mean, th these it's are so all, fun. these are all topics though, that like, I feel like if, even if you aren't currently buying a house, like it's things, it's, Okay, maybe I'm different than everybody else. No, you're not. My group chats, wanted, are, like, yeah. You know, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, My friends are constantly sharing Zillow things and, and even yeah. looking at houses when they just bought a house. I'm like, what are you doing swiping on Zillow? You have Sounds like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> constantly looking at houses that we aren't going to buy. So, yeah. <laughs> and I always, you know, it's funny. I always tell her like, hey, why don't you transition? Instead of looking for these like houses in, in you know, our neighborhood that you want, why don't you move over and start looking for some duplexes or something yeah. so, that we actually might <laughs> make some money. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah, that's what happens in your 30s. The stuff that you look for <laughs> definitely changes. Yeah, 100%. So that is, uh, I, uh, I like this appraisal conversation that we just had. And I feel like honestly, we could probably go on longer, but we're not going to. Not today, um, guys. But we will probably revisit, I would think, because that's that comes up a lot in this market. Yeah. Uh, yeah. explaining appraisals and and i mean maybe maybe in a different episode we can get into some uh more like fun examples of like scenarios that have occurred that good bad or or just knowledgeable uh, experiences you know oh yeah this it's like the wild west out here the good the bad and the ugly yeah. we'll we'll talk about it all all right awesome well uh this has been a great show and uh we will catch everybody on the next episode yeah take care y'all